God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give your concerns to him right now. Cast your cares on the Lord, knowing he cares for you. You reign supreme over anything you may face, anyone you're concerned about. Praise you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Good morning. How's everybody? Good deal. Good deal. Yeah. Hope you're praying about the upcoming election, keeping that in your minds and your hearts. You know, all authorities have been established by the king of the universe. The people who rise up to power are directly influenced by how the Church of Jesus Christ is planned. And I think we've gotten a little comfortable and we need to pray. We need to pray. My main concern are Supreme Court justices being appointed because we have a rogue nation that's ignoring the Constitution that made this country great. So consider who will honor life, who will honor what our father, founding fathers intended you to pray earnestly in these next days ahead. It's concerning, but we shouldn't be shocked because prophecy says these kinds of things will happen. And always remember that the darker it gets, the brighter the light shines. And there will always be in front of us opportunities for the kingdom of God. Because when everything else is failing, where else can people turn but to Him? Amen? Amen. And I hope you are turning to him. So when we sing hallelujah, our God reigns forever and always, it's not a, uh, you know, uh, four-year session. (laughs) That's a good thing, forever, our God reigns. Let's give God praise, can't we? A 12-year-old boy was out in his front yard hitting baseballs one day when, when suddenly he came running into the house. Hey, Dad, uh, didn't you tell us once that an apple a day helps keep the doctor away? Dad said, well, yeah, son, that's what they say. And the boy said, I need an apple right away. I just hit a baseball through Dr. Smith's window. <laughs> Fort Wayne, Indiana. Fort Wayne, Indiana. Here you will find a gray site and an actual monument there, actually the, 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 the monument and the actual grave site of a great legendary American hero by the name of Johnny Appleseed. And although his name might seem familiar to, to many of us, his story has been largely misrepresented over the years. There are probably some things about him that you don't know. Yes, the name sounds fictional, but it's not. It was actually a nickname that was given to him. His real name, John Chapman. He was born in the midst of the American Revolution. He wasn't quite two years old when the Constitution was signed, born in September of 1774. And while not much is known about his childhood, we do know that as a young man, he worked at a, a cider mill in Pennsylvania, the western edge of the new frontier. 
History tells us that it was here that God gave him a vision for the future. He knew people were moving westward. He knew that it was a phenomenon that would only increase in the days ahead. And he knew that those young pioneers would probably appreciate some good apples <laughs> along the way. Well, one of the obvious byproducts of working at a cider mill is seeds. Tons and tons of seeds, most of which were waste. So he started bagging them, and when he had, had, a, had amassed a really large quantity, he started heading westward systematically and strategically. And what he was doing was planting apple seeds. Three cents if you planted them yourselves, six and a half cents if he planted them for you. He was a man who had a vision of the future and he literally planted seeds toward that end. He became a legend in his own time. But John Chapman sowed a whole lot more than just apple seeds. You see, he was a strong believer. He believed the Bible was God's word. He believed that Jesus Christ was God's sacrifice for sins. He believed in the good news of the coming kingdom of God. He always had a Bible in his hand and quoted scripture wherever he went. This great American legend paints a picture for us of one of the great principles of life that could be entitled sowing and reaping, seed time and harvest, giving and receiving. If you go over to Philippians chapter 4 in your Bible, starting with the first 10, what you find there is that Paul is affirming the church at Philippi for the same spirit. Hear what the Word of God says. This is Philippians 4, starting in verse 10. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care but you lacked opportunity. So he's talking about their opportunity to give to his ministry financially. Verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, which means I know how to have nothing, and I know how to abound, which means to have everything. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Verse 14. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning, and here's the principle, one of those next three words, giving and receiving. See those? That's what we're talking about. But you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, not that I seek what you can give me, but I seek the fruit that abounds, the fruit that may be credited to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphrodites the things sent from you. And then he uses these Old Testament words that were used to describe offerings at the temple when he talks about their gifts to, to the ministry 
He says, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And just before we read verse 11, or in verse 19, we could add there these words, you gave, now watch this, you gave, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So clearly, just as Johnny Appleseed planted apples and the gospel toward America's future, so we see here that these believers were ready to advance the gospel by investing in the harvest. They were constantly sowing seeds with their time, with their talent, with their treasure. They believed in the work that God was doing. Let's talk about the truth of the harvest here. You see, as Paul was writing these words, he was being held as a prisoner in, in Rome. But friends, that wasn't the end of Paul's ministry. Even though Paul was in chain, chains, you could not chain the gospel. Chain Paul to a prison guard, and guess what's going to happen? That prison guard is going to come to faith. And ultimately, Rome would become the epicenter of a gospel advance that would sweep the globe. You can't chain the gospel. See here that a very special thing was happening. And here's the call this morning. There are times and there are situations when the Holy Spirit will make it clear to you, God is up to something and this is an opportunity to sow what he has given you to that end. But in that, there are three important questions that you must consider. The first one is to ask the question, is God up to something here? You've got to determine if the soil is something worth sowing into. Do you believe that what you're investing in will literally advance the gospel, will really contribute to the harvest of the gospel, the harvest of souls? Is God up to something? Second, will you respond to that in faith and in obedience? And third, ask the Lord, what is it that he's specifically calling you to sow? Your decision will largely have to do with what you believe about the principle of the harvest. The principle of the harvest works like this, and, and friends, this is the liberty in which we must give. Please hear it. When you give, you haven't lost a thing. When you give, you don't end up with any less. Instead, what you have done is you sow something into a work, and as a result of it being a work that God is doing, God says in his word that he will resupply. So that every time a seed is sown, something grows, and not only does it produce fruit, but it produces seeds that can be planted again. <laughs> when you were a kid, you remember cutting an apple across the core? What would you see there? A star, right? Typically that star has uh, five points on it. Once in a while you might come across one that has six point, points on it. We call that a carpal. 
Inside each of those carpels are about two seeds, so we could say that's an average of about 10 seeds per apple. Now, let's say that the average uh, apple tree produces 20 boxes of apples for a total of 42 pounds. Now, if just two of those seeds per apple were planted and grew into trees, how many apples do you now suppose that you would have? Then you multiply that times 10 because it's producing seeds as well, and that gives an account of how many seeds you have. So here's the math. Eight apples per three pounds. Okay, go to the store, count them in the bag, approximately an estimate, right? 112 per box times 20 boxes, now producing 10 seeds, but you planted two that grew in the trees. What do you end up with? 4,480 apples, 44,800 seeds. This is what we're talking about right here. You planted a seed when you gave to God's work, out of that a tree grew, and suddenly your seed-giving potential begins to compound. I'm not making it up. And this is why Paul says in the text, not that I desire your gifts, but I desire what may be credited to your account. Because Paul understood that faithful giving sets in motion the harvest of the gospel. But, but it wasn't just about the fruit, and I hope you heard the emphasis here. It was about getting more seeds that could be planted for future harvest. Now, you've got to hear that guilt and manipulation are never good causes for giving at all. The fact that I'm standing up here talking to you like this is an absolute miracle. Uh, it's an example of how God has so captured my heart that I'm at a place where I can trust him with what I believe he's trusted to me and therefore not hold on to anything that I've given, been given tightly. You see, I grew up in a family that I would describe as living in a posture of defense. Whatever you get, whatever you have, you had better guard it. You had better hold on to it tightly lest someone comes along and takes it from you. I think it was really a, a poverty mindset. This is the way I was raised. And as a child, I can remember hearing statements about the church such as, Tithe? Are you nuts? The church doesn't need your money. They've got more than we do. Have you heard it? Or, or, or how, about, how about this one? The only thing that the church cares about is your money. Hmm. Now, on one hand, if that's true, can I suggest to you that you don't give to that ministry? I mean, go back to question number one. Is God up to something here? On the other hand, if that's honestly the way that you feel, please don't give. We don't need your money. We don't want your money. There's no blessing on either side of that kind of attitude. But I need to be honest with you. Today I believe that it was out of the spirit of holding on to what we had too tightly that my family always seemed to struggle and never seemed to have enough. It comes down to, to a couple of thoughts here. 
What do you trust more, the money in your hand or the God in heaven who supplies for every need? Huh, what do you trust more? And if you're always struggling financially, could it be that you trust more in what you can hold on to than you trust in the one who ultimately owns it all? The end of the game, it all goes back in the box. It's all God's, right? And as your pastor, I would rather you come to know him personally and, intimate and intimately than you ever put even a dime in any offering plate that comes your way. However, I am so grateful for people that he's put in my life who believe that God is up to something. I am so glad that they have modeled the spirit of gladness in giving to God's work. They have exuded a confidence that it is God who gives the increase, and these are people who are living to the full, living life to the full, regardless of how little or how much they may have. And it's an amazing thing to get a picture of church finances, which I try not to look at too carefully, uh, too closely, but it is a humbling thing to realize, really? How do they do that? That is absolutely amazing. Now, having said this, let me give you a couple of qualifiers here. There's two tests in this whole matter that I need to be perfectly clear about. First, to abound doesn't mean that you will never again face a financial trial. I mean, look at the text right here. Even in giving to God's work, what does the Apostle Paul say? He says there were times when he had plenty, and there were times when he didn't. But what the question is, will we continue to trust God by investing in the harvest, whether we're living in lean times or whether we're living in abundant times? It's a test. But there's another test. On the other hand, seasons of immense blessing are also tests. Will we manage what God entrusts to our care wisely and faithfully, regardless of how much it is? <laughs> Jack Hayford, uh, reading him last night, he was talking about how when he was a kid, he was given a nickel and five cents. And the idea was that uh, he, would, he was instructed by his parents that the penny, one penny belonged to God. He couldn't hold on to it, it was God's. And so he started a pattern that he would carry on for life. But when he was in college, he and his wife, Anna, uh, were both working at the same company, and suddenly they were given combined incomes, and at Christmas time, their company always gave them an extra month's pay. So now, all of a sudden, for the first time in his life, he's having to write a check with three figures. And he's like, really? Do I have to give that much? And it was like God whispered in his ear, Jack, it's still a penny for 10. <laughs> Hasn't changed much. See, it's as though God is saying, I'm the one who makes things grow. I'm looking for those whom I can entrust with greater resources. Can I trust you with seeds of unusual proportion? And will you honor me with what I'm giving to you? I'm, I'm deeply concerned and saddened by fundraising gimmicks and strategies that I've seen far too many churches using to raise money. It's true we need to get the gospel out there, 
But friends, giving that's manipulated by guilt and fear and tricks and gimmicks and manipulation, this isn't God's plan, and I hope it is never a part of what we are at Summit Church. God's heart is that we know him above all else, and God's heart is that we grow to trust him, to believe that everything we have is his, and we are merely stewards of what he's entrusted to us, and out of that, we can begin to recognize that he really does supply, he really is moving, and then we can respond freely by sowing seed to that end. The heart and motivation, do you know him? The heart and motivation, do you trust him? The heart and motivation, do you really believe that he is the supplier of all things? And out of that, you can begin to give Yes, sometimes sacrificially, sometimes out of abundance, but always gladly. This is what we're talking about. As you sow, so shall you reap. Listen to what the scripture says. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your own heart to give, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And he's talking about God's I'm always blessed by stories that people would share with me how God is blessing them as they're sowing seeds toward God's kingdom advance. It gladdens my heart to know that people who are sowing seed into what God is doing right here at Summit Church are truly being blessed. But at the same time, I'm reminded of my childhood. And I'm reminded that there will always be those who, like my family. They're not being blessed, and they're always struggling, and they're always frustrated. And I know, based on what I experienced that in almost every case, it's because they're holding so tightly to what they have that they're never showing anything of significance that God can bless. But we need to be really honest here this morning. The problem really isn't about money. No. Money is just a barometer. It, it gives a reading of something else that's going on. Frankly, it indicates an untrusting, unsurrendered heart almost every time. Did you see the movie End of the Spear? End of the Spear. Uh, Elliot, uh, what was his first name? Jim. Jim Elliot, yes. You know, I went down to South Africa to, to reach a, a cannibalistic, isolated tribe with South, with South America. What did I say? I meant South America. <laughs> Teamwork, right? Yeah. If we all work together, <laughs> I don't have it. What a happy family. No, that's not it. Anyway, thank you. Um, yeah, and he was killed by those very Indians. But um, a number of years later, Elizabeth had the opportunity to go back to that tribe with courage. And they remembered her husband. 
because they remembered the pictures of his children in the airplane. And she was able to lead that entire tribe to Jesus Christ. And when she considers the price that they paid for gospel events, this is what she writes in her book, Passion and Purity. If we hold tightly to anything given us, unwilling to let it go, when the time comes to let it go, or unwilling to allow it to be used as the giver means for it to be used, we stunt the growth of our soul. It's easy to make a mistake here. If God gave it to me, we say, it's mine. I can do what I want with it. Or, or maybe I'll just embellish this a little bit. Maybe, maybe we say, I work for it. God didn't give it to me. Now, the truth is that it is ours to thank him for and ours to offer back to him, ours to let go of. Remember the building of the temple at Jerusalem, David? had the people all contribute to this, this great temple that would be built in God's honor. The offering that came in was so huge, it was overwhelming. It was an amazing temple, never to be matched in all of history, never, ever. And as David prayed with thanksgiving for what God was doing, he said these words to God, everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you first gave us. So what God is calling us to today and anyone who will hear is really a Johnny Appleseed opportunity. Here's your chance to plant for the future, to plant toward the kingdom of God. Will you, will you respond in faith? But as I said, there's a deeper thing going on in money. Jesus was a seed that went into the ground and died. But he rose again to multiply into fruitfulness. Seeds that have been planted since his coming, multiplying the kingdom of God so that here today many believe because Jesus laid down his life. But in that, he's calling all who are here to lay down their lives as well, to lay down their life. Because unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it can never produce what God intended for it to produce. We're talking about you dying to self and coming alive to new life and new fruitfulness. He died for you as an example. Will you lay down your life for him? You know, prayer never has much to do with the words we say as it does the desire of our hearts. But today, if you sense God is saying to you, you're still fighting, and you need to die to yourself, here's a suggested prayer, and you just let the Lord lead you, lead you, lead you. If this is you, pray these words. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want to thank you for going to the cross for me and dying for my sins. I now want to open the door to my heart, surrendering to you, inviting you into my life to be both my forgiver and my king, my savior and my Lord. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me of my sins and giving me new life, eternal life with you. Today, I want to turn from doing life my way. Please 
Show me your plans for my life. Show me the plans you have for me. Please make me the person you created me to be. Now look at me. If you pray that prayer today, according to God's word, Christ came into your life. You have received his gift of forgiveness that he won for you on the cross, and you are now a child of God, and you now have a future in his eternal kingdom. But you're also now becoming an ambassador of this very message, like the boy from China who found us at Performance Park that said, when I go back to China, I will tell my people Jesus is real. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Tell somebody your decision. Share with them. In a moment, I'm going to invite our prayer partners to come, and they're going to be available. Share with them. Be baptized. What's baptism? Baptism is a public demonstration that you like to see. You're going into the ground, into the water, in order that God might raise you up to be rooted, strengthened, built up, and bearing fruit for his eternal kingdom. But all of us can pray this prayer. Would you pray with me again? Father, what is it that you're wanting me to hear from this sermon today? What's he calling me to? And will you, in response, say yes? Please consider your relationship with him.